When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A very good morning uh, to you. I'm going through the papers this morning. Do you know, I don't know. I think when I started reading this story first, I was saddened. And then as I was reading through it, I became angry about it because yet again, there is another terminally ill woman dying uh, with cervical cancer and her case is back in the courts. And this woman literally has only days left to live. So her legal team were back in the High Court yesterday saying, please, 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 can we get this case sorted before this woman passes away? You know, and I was reading it and I was thinking of the very brave Vicky Phelan. We wouldn't even be addressing these issues. These issues wouldn't even be before the courts, only that Vicky Phelan decided to go public. We remember people like uh, Emma Vic Mahuna, Stephen Teep's uh, wife, Irene, Lindsay Bennett. I mean, the list of women go on and on and and all of the women who are still battling in the 221 plus group and their families. And the lawyers for this woman uh, were back. They went to the High Court yesterday appealing to the HSE to please settle the case and it's over once again the alleged, alleged misreporting of her cervical smear uh, slides. Now she's challenging the HSE and there's actually two laboratories uh, as well and Justice Paul Coffey he heard the case yesterday and he was told that this woman who is 59 years old she's gravely ill and it literally is only a matter of days before she dies. Her counsel is Patrick Tracy. He was in court instructed by Keen O'Carroll solicitors. Again, Keen O'Carroll has fought so many of these battles and has become, Keen O'Carroll has become so friendly uh, with so many of these ladies and he's watched, unfortunately, many of the ones he's represented. He's unfortunately watched many of them uh, pass away. But, um, they were back in court yesterday uh, saying that unfortunately they had been informed the her medical te- her legal team had been informed late on Wednesday by her husband that she's now under hospice care and her situation now is so serious she can't even herself consult with the solicitor counsel said uh, he was in court yesterday making a humanitarian request to the HSE to enter into mediation to resolve the matter are if they won't do that for at least the HSE to give an assurance that the woman's rights to general damages if she goes on to win the case that they will be preserved after her death because that's the fear with a lot of these women they go into battle they're fighting um, for for what they know was done to them but also they're fighting for who's left behind you know their husbands their their children their parents and it's important to them that if they pass away before the case gets settled the fear is that the damages will die uh, with them and it seems that this woman's case wasn't due to go or isn't due to go to trial in the High Court until July which is next month and now her medical team are saying look 
this woman is terminally ill. She has days left to live. She won't be around for a high court trial in uh, July. Now, the woman uh, can't be uh, identified by order of the uh, court, but her barrister said he was now asking the court court to list the case again for this morning so that the parties and in particular the HSE that they could reflect overnight and I really hope and pray that they have reflected uh, overnight he said we need to get this matter settled we are now in an end of life situation so Justice Paul Coffey adjourned the case yesterday and he adjourned it on today, until today and he said in court yesterday he was encouraging the parties to further engage to see if it could get resolved. The judge said the parties now find themselves at the edge of what the law can do and it was now a case where common decency and honour became involved. So the woman has sued the HSE and there's also two named laboratories. One is in Foxhoff in Dublin and the other is a US laboratory based in Austin, uh, Texas. And at issue in the case are two cervical smear slides which were taken under the Cervical Check National Screening Programme. One was in February of 2010 and the other was in August of 2010. The woman has claimed that had those smear samples, the one taken in February and the one then taken in August, had they been correctly reported, she would then have been treated by curative surgery and she wouldn't have gone on to develop invasive cervical cancer. It's claimed that because of the alleged delay in diagnosis, the woman allegedly lost the opportunity for any kind of treatment, any kind of cure, and her life expectancy then was reduced to just a matter of uh, months. Obviously, all the claims are being denied, but that's what's happened every single time all of these women have had to go to case, uh, had to go to court and fight through the, the high court. The case for the American laboratory told the court it was a complex case in relation to liability and causation and there was a great deal of investigation to do. So that doesn't give me much hope of them saying that they'll sort it out very quickly but let's hope that the HSE reflected overnight and will come back and do as the judge said common decency the honourable thing and as the solicitor said you know he's pleading on humanitarian grounds but it's just it's hard to open the papers and to read and see again another woman, another Vicky Phelan, another Emma Vic Mahuna, another Irene Teep, another Lindsay Bennett, all fighting the system. When is it going to end uh, for these women? And of course, anticipation is literally at fever pitch for the arrival of Harry Styles uh, to Slain tomorrow afternoon. If you have somebody in the household, or maybe you are one of the 80,000 fans who's expected to descend on the historic uh, site of St. Castle on the banks of the uh, River Boyne uh, tomorrow afternoon, it is going to be what a concert. Um, He's the Former, he's one of the former singers with that One Direction. And his fans have got to be some of the most loyalist bunch of uh, people. And the gig, this particular gig is part of Harry Styles' COVID-delayed Love on Tour. So many of the fans have been waiting many, many years to actually see this concert. And actually, when the tickets went on sale, it was the fastest selling concert ever in Slane and Slane has been going now for more than 40 years and it's the first concert 
back at Slane Castle. Uh, the last one uh, was Metallica and that was the pre-pandemic summer of 2019, all those uh, years ago. But it would be a very different crowd turning up tomorrow to see Harry Styles than would have turned up to see Metallica in 2019. I even saw the event controller, a gentleman by the name of um, Eamon Fox. He described Harry Styles' crowd as a lovely, compliant and sober bunch of people. He said all they want to do is come and see Harry Styles. Uh, They do what they're told, they don't drink and they're just coming for the music. So it sounds like it's going to be a wonderful uh, day out. Now, I don't know how the way the weather is going to play for them in uh, Slane uh, tomorrow because I know there, uh, there is some rain forecast for tomorrow and some thundery down pours and we here in the south of course this wonderful warm weather we've had the best of the weather the east of the country hasn't had the brilliant sunshine and the hot temperatures that we've got here in the south so I don't know what the weather conditions are like tomorrow but don't you know all of Harry Styles fans they will not be worried rail, hail or shine they are going along just to see the man himself so if you are one or you're somebody in the household going enjoy 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 because it's a wonderful wonderful venue. Traffic wardens in the tourist town of Cove can't enforce short-term parking limits because of a problem with their handheld machines. To find out what's going on, I'm joined by local Labour councillor Cahal Rasmussen. Good morning to you, Cahal. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm, I'm very well and you're welcome uh, to the programme. Now, now, what is the issue with these handheld devices that you'll sometimes see traffic wardens holding? Yeah, I suppose, look, just to give you the background to it so you can understand that what actually happened was that uh, over... T- 12 months ago, we set in place uh, short-term parking in two or three locations in Cove. The idea behind this was that um, rather than have somebody coming in for three hours parking inside some of the shops, what we wanted to do was try and get fast turnaround so that if you wanted to go in to get a paper or milk or go to the pharmacy, you could do it and park outside these premises. Um, so we identified a number of areas and we put up signs saying 30 minute zones. So the way the parking works at the moment, as you know, is that the wardens have handheld units. So if your car is parked in a normal parking space, they come along and in Cove, the first hour is free. So they just come along, scan your uh, number plate, as we understand it. So then a clock starts on their handheld unit. And that, so when they go come back in, say, an hour and a half or two hours or whatever, they can then check, oh, how long is that car there? It doesn't have a ticket. It was, it's there outside at the time. So they can then decide uh, to give the person a ticket or not, right? Okay. So it sounds very simple. So we all assumed, I certainly, I was the chair of the group that was set up to try and bring this in. Um, I fully thought that that's great. You can just change to 30 minutes because why would there be an issue in this day and age? So a few weeks ago, it came to my attention that the, those cars parking in some of these locations on a continuous basis, there were no tickets on them and there was nothing happening. So I made some inquiries in the town hall and I, they then came back and said, yes, there appears to be an issue with the system. So I put a motion in then because I wanted complete clarity on it because I suppose my concern, Patricia, really was that it's not about people abusing the system per se, but it's the fact that we're now wasting spaces where other people could be using them properly um, as such, plus the revenue we're losing then as well. And it's not fair to people anyway. If somebody's taken up the space that they shouldn't be taken up and they're not being dealt with, 
anybody else who takes up or abuses the rules elsewhere has been fined. So at the meeting the other day, it was made clear that unfortunately there appears to be an issue that they couldn't change the handheld unit or couldn't update it, I suppose to want a better word, to have 30 and 60 on it at the same time, which I find incredible, to be honest with you. So it means that the warden at present, not his or her fault or the warden's fault, it's the system fault. So since last summer when we brought it in, it now appears as if the wardens don't ever check any of the cars in these zones because they don't need to, because they can't give any fines to it as such. And then I'm, I'm assuming people have copped that. Well, I would suggest, yes, they have, because I know that there was a number of individuals who had signs up and it saying that working uh, with contractors locally and stuff like that on work that was being done, and they're sitting there all day for two or three days. Ah, that, that's, and that's, that's not fair. Completely unfair. And you see, Trisha, the point, the point is that I was trying to make and the reason that I raised this, and I was, I was uncomfortable enough about raising this and bringing it to a, to a head, but the point is that, you know, parking is very, very tight in Cove as it is, this initiative was to try and help the people come in to to to, in to, to stay local as such. We had meetings with the Chamber of Commerce, we'd meet them with the business houses and the councillors and engineers. Everybody agreed this was a, was a great idea. But at the, if they had told us at the time this system wouldn't work, we would say, let's hold off until it does. <clears throat> Equally as well, we have an issue with residence permits because what has come to light now as well that... Um, people can get residence permits in Cove and any place that where there's um, online or on-the-road parking. And some of these residents now can also park in these areas and stay there all day, every day, which again is not very suitable because that is not practical because we have, I don't know, 10 or 12 spaces allocated. So technically you could have four or five of those spaces gone full-time yeah, and you know the and these quick turnaround zones. I mean, they're 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 obviously they're vital for the businesses. Correct. They, they they really want them, but they're also vital for shoppers as well because people get very frustrated if they need to go somewhere, like maybe go to the the pharmacist, just want to pop in and get a paper, want to grab a cup of coffee, whatever it is. But if the town gets the reputation, uh, there's no point going down that street, or there's no point going anywhere near there because you never get parking. People then divert to other areas. Completely, and we've been work- working very hard in the recent years with Cove Tourism, with the Tidy Towns, with Cork County Council, with all the, all the tourism and the businesses in Cove to get Cove up and running. And Cove is a super town. It's every every loves coming to Cove, particularly in the fine weather. But I constantly hear about people complaining about the parking. And I suppose my concern is we're not helping ourselves by having 10 or 12 spaces available, but they're of no benefit. And I suppose we have a lot of free parking in Cove as such, out to five foot ways, a huge car park out there. But unfortunately, all you hear about is people getting tickets in Cove because they're parking in, on double yellow lines or whatever. And I, again, I won't condone if somebody's parked on double yellow lines or in a loading bay, they shouldn't be there, right? But at the same time then, they're getting parking tickets and people over here then are getting nothing. So it was it's a bit hypocritical. Mm. So what I've suggested is that, um, and we'll have a report in the next couple of weeks from from the executive as to whether it can be adjusted or not. And like, let's be honest about it, in this day and age, how difficult it is to upload or modify a system. It's not, we only have you, two Yeah, you, you, would think, you would think that it's not rocket science. I mean, no, the no. technology has advanced uh, so much. And di- did I also read that Cove is going to run a pilot uh, scheme uh, for online parking, to pay for your parking yeah, online? This is a scheme that um, has been going on for many, uh, has been suggested for many years. 
I suppose going back two years ago or in the middle of COVID, we discovered when there was free parking for every place and there was no, there was, and there was very few, little traffic around. Yeah. A lot of our machines had been given trouble. So what happened was last year as part of this 30 minutes zone, we got some of our machines upgraded uh, and, saw, and more of them taken out of circulation. But we've been campaigning for a long time, all of us as councillors, that we need to have the online parking like you have and the app like you have in Cork City and, you know, all over the country. So as councillors, we put it forward that Cove should be the, um, the the project in the County Hall to try it. And luckily, after months of discussing with County Hall, um, and it's actually gone for tender this morning, um, the, the project itself has gone for tender. So hopefully over the summer, that contractor will have come into Cove and it'll be, you'll be able to do on the WhatsApp or the, the app system online to do all of this kind of stuff. And that will make life easier for everybody as well. So yeah, it's good news. And if the plan is that it will be rolled out in other count, uh, towns in the county, yeah, they, well, have let, yeah. Let's so see how it goes in Cove. Yeah, can you pay? Can you pay by card? On at a, the moment, yeah. No, at the moment you can't. But I think four of the machines are going to be upgraded in the next couple of weeks. They're actually that's, that was that was another part of our project that they are going to be paid. These four machines in the centre town will be upgraded, and you will be able to pay by card then as well. At the moment, it's all kinds, as far as I know, and all the machines we have. Um, but they, but you will need to leave coins as well for people who like to deal in oh, hard yes. cash. But, yeah, but, yeah. The plan but it's just for more more and more people, uh, you know, not dealing in cash. You know, you need, you need the facilities for both. OK, John in Cove has contacted the programme about the tables and chairs on the main roads outside the establishments. Right. I'm, I'm assuming parklets. Is that what he's talking about? Put there during COVID times. meant to be temporary, but they've remained in place. They are taking up parking spaces. Why don't you remove those? Yeah, well, look, it's, it's, a, fair, it's a fair comment. And I suppose, but unfortunately, it's, it, this wasn't a council decision. This was, this was decided by the department. Okay, not Cork County Council or Cove Municipal District. The government and the department decided that the council still could do this. So I suppose this was introduced during COVID to try and help the businesses. And I suppose in Cove, we, we have about is it 12 or 14 spaces I'd have to check that are given over now this summer to um, businesses for park, And we've lost 14 spaces as such uh, for parking. Um, I suppose it's a hard one, Patricia. Yeah. The reality is, is that the businesses want them. The council have agreed to give them to them. Um, so it's a, it's a hard one to... to, 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 to and, co- and, and people love to dine outside. There are people like yeah. the idea of having their cup of coffee and their scone and particularly yeah. the gorgeous weather we've been having of late. Completely. And like in the, la- in the last three weeks, we've had, we must have had nearly 10 liners in over the space of the two or three weeks and Cove has been packed. And it's, it's Cove is as nice as any place in the world, I would argue, when you have the waterfront and the promenade and the tourists and the buses and the whole lot. And this is part of what Cove is now. And yes, it is awkward at times because we have taken away parking spaces. But the benefit is that people can dine out, they can have a drink, you know, and that, that, that is part of the way life is. Um, and unfortunately, that is, that is the way. And the public, when the public realm comes in, in the next couple of years, please God, then we have the funding for it. The square that's there at the moment, Casement Square, that will be completely taken over with tables and chairs. There'll be, there'll be no parking or literally no parking in that square. So, like, and that is the way forward because at the end of the day, Cove is a tourism town, um, as, you, as you know, Patricia, and that's, mm. what, that's what we have to cater for. You know, our, our, the bulk of our businesses from tourism and passing trade and tourists coming to visit all the scenes in Cove and, the, and with the liner trade then as well. Um, but it's, it's hard to get it all right. And I suppose one of my points of raising this the other day again was because when you take the 12 or 14 spaces for tables and chairs, 
then you take the, the other 10 or 12 of the um, spaces for the 30 minute zone you put them all together you could be losing up to 20 or 20, 20 odd spaces for people for, for parking that's a lot. I know. That's why I, I know. was so agitated about the fact well, that... Yeah, and I can, see, I can see people from across the county with different views. Sheila in Mallow hates the notion of pay parking anywhere. She thinks it destroys the town and it turns people off and business suffer. But Sheila, if you're free for everyone, it then becomes a free-for-all all because Connor in Middleton sums it up. Uh, he very much understands why you need to have pay parking. He works in the city and while he commutes on the train uh, yeah. most days, last week he had to commute by car as he had some family occasions uh, to attend. Thursday and Friday he was able to access parking but on Sunday when it was free parking in the city so he couldn't get parking anywhere. People just abandoned their cars sometimes blocking uh, traffic. Likewise he said if I work late when 7 o'clock comes and it's free parking then it's a free for all. So certainly pay parking has a role to play. I I can tell you in Cove whether people like pay parking or not it works in Cove. If we didn't have it works in Mallow. Before, it works in yeah. Mallow as well for that yeah. listener in Mallow who's, a, who's, who's against it. It does work. No, it, it's not ideal because I know people say it have to pay. But look, you go down to Clarny. Everywhere in Clarny, you go into any car park down there. The first thing you do is you look to how much to pay because that's the way it is. We Unfortunately, we don't have the luxuries of, sp- of fields or big car parks very close to the centre of Cove. So therefore, we have to make sure that you know people park properly park safely, park efficiently and if they have to pay for it and then they move on that's mm. what has to happen. Yeah. You can't have a car park Well it, allow, it allows for a, yeah. for a better flow of traffic completely, and, completely. and very finally uh, Niall yeah. in Cove says does Cahill know why the Port of Cork are trying to close off a walkway wow. near the port in Cove many locals would walk on that stretch as the liners uh, come in to that area. Do you want me to respond to that? Yes I do. Yeah no yeah no look this, this is a dispute that's been going on for the last five, four or five years. Um, all I can say to you is, is that the port will tell you they're not trying to close off the walkway. And all I can say to Niall is that the, the, nobody has been stopped going out that five foot away for the last 18 months. The, uh, or, and even before that, the liners do come in and they do burst. And the whole issue with this is that um, the Port of Cork introduced a system that when the ships are tying up and they're throwing the ropes, they ask people, would you hold on for a minute or for five minutes while the rope's been thrown in case the rope snaps? That's what it is. So I would contest the fact that um, they are allegedly trying to close the right away. You know, it's, it's it's a sensitive situation. I've been dealing with both sides the last number of months. But it's, it. it sounds like it's a health and safety, what you're talking about. Well, what I would say is that, it, 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 look, it is a health and safety issue, right? But unfortunately, some people would argue that while it's, it's, it's this right away is hidden behind the argument about health and safety. What I would suggest is that it was handled very badly mm. at the very initial stages, um, and there's been a lot of water under the bridge. I can tell you, in this over this I, 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 item in the recent years. Um, but all I can say is that we are trying actively at the moment to try and find a resolution. It is not easy, as such. Um, but all I would say is that the five foot way is open, is open twenty four seven, fifty two weeks a year. At present, nobody, as they say, has been stopped walking along there. Um, over the last 18 months. Okay. And again, it is a very dangerous area because there's buses coming in and going out because of all the liners. Um, but I do appreciate what Niall is saying there that some people would say that they are trying to close the five-foot way but are to extinguish the right way or whatever. All I can say is that we, as a councillor, no, I've never seen that written anywhere officially. We've discussed it at Lent in Cork County Council, discussed it at Lent in Cove Municipal District. We've never been approached to say officially that they're looking to do that. So I suppose 
you know yourself when there's a dispute going on one side says one thing the other side says the other thing somewhere the truth lies somewhere in the middle okay. and we're, we're trying to get to that at okay the but it's it's open and accessible oh. for people is what you're saying alright Carl yeah. we leave it there thank you for that and thanks we for joining thank us on the programme good morning to you Bye-bye. that is uh, Labour Councillor for uh, Cove Cahal Rasmussen the European Commission met this week with representatives of dozens of global tech firms that have signed up to the EU's code of practice against disinformation, asking them to come up with some kind of a label to identify AI-generated texts and images in order to fight disinformation on their platforms. To discuss this in more detail, I'm joined by MEP for the South, uh, Deirdre Clune. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Hi, good morning, Patricia. You're you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Now, why do you believe it's so important that people know what is AI-generated and what isn't? I think that it's it's very important that they would know the difference so that they can uh, make decisions for themselves as to whether they accept the information or not. Uh, and that's um, really what, what this is about. We, there is so much information out there. A lot of it that we're seeing on our phones and, and, and the information that we get it may not be true. And <clears throat> it'll help an awful lot to make those decisions for yourself if you know that it's generated um, artificially. Uh, or as the commission said this this week, you know, if she wants meaningful labels for con- for consumers or for for citizens, t- t- as plain as this is a robot talking to you, you know. So mm. um, I think that that's important because there's so much information. I mean, it's fantastic the amount of information that's out there, but what is real and what isn't, and um, you know, this is a battle from the commission sees it now against disinformation and the the war in Russia. This code of conduct in engaging with the major tech companies started. Uh, during COVID, because there was so much information, information and disinformation, particularly out there, that was that was scaring people, that was causing a lot of upset, and uh, ca- causing people to do things that they shouldn't have done, maybe make decisions they shouldn't have. Uh, so we need to, to get to grips with it and yeah, try and get and, a balance. And, and the balance is what, inf- information. What responses did you get from the global tech firms that, that you spoke with? And um, well, the tech firms during during COVID, they were very good coming coming and um, trying to um, trying to f- help as best they can because I mean there's a language issue here so, sometimes as well. I mean most of it is in English. Most of what we see is in English, and they don't have a lot of the staff to deal with uh, smaller, more minority languages, uh, and that can can be an issue. But I think the response from the companies this week probably they are wouldn't be. And uh, we're waiting for that response. They're not keen on using this label because they say, oh, it's difficult for them and how are they going to do this and how are they going to manage it? But I mean, they're the facts. If you want to protect people, this is going to be a part of European law. And if you want to protect people, uh, you have to comply with the law. In fact, actually, it's a point to note, and you mentioned that, is uh, Twitter did walk away from this, uh, the voluntary code of conduct, but Twitter did walk away from it last month, yeah. which isn't um, which isn't looked at very favorably because uh, this is going to become law and they're going to have to comply with they'll it. Have so no, they'll have no choice. There is there is a lot of fear, I suppose, around AI. Do you have some mm. concerns, or do you see it as a real positive? Oh, absolutely. I have concerns, but I, I see as the positives uh, more importantly. And I think we're moving towards uh, legislation in, in the parliament now. I'm involved in it for our UPP group. And what we want to do is that there are risks with certain AI systems and there are areas 
where if you're using it, it can be very high risk. And in those areas, we're going to put regulators in place, supervision that you have to share with the regulators, what kind of data you're using, uh, how you have designed your AI system, and uh, how how it how it'll operate. And it's seen, if if you're high risk, you're you're seen as you're going to have a risk to the health or the safety or the fundamental rights of individuals. So like areas such as medicine is high risk, but then the value of, of it can be fantastic in, in, in identifying tumours and matching a, a very efficient and effective. Uh, support in, in cancer area that that's important very very important for eye surgery for uh, eye surgeons that have made this case but recognizing that there there is a risk like for yeah. instance during the vaccine and developing developing the covid vaccines ai played a huge part there in getting a solution very very quickly, quickly yeah but, but but i did see but, but, uh, but that needs to be transparent and yeah. not for me because i'm a lay person but certainly for the regulators and those who have, have knowledge of it we need they need to know what kind of data was used to build the algorithm to come to the solution. Yeah, because and if we can share that I, and get supervision there, I then I think we're in a safe I saw, situation. I saw an expert advisor on, on technology. Uh, he was an advisor to the UK uh, Prime Minister saying that unless AI uh, producers are regulated on a global scale, that mm. there could be a, you know very powerful systems that humans would struggle to control. So we do need to tre- tread carefully here and we do need it to be properly regulated. We do need to tread very carefully. Yeah, we, it needs to be regulated. And I mean, we're moving now in Europe. I mean, I hope it will be voted in our parliament next week to have this regulation in place. But that's not enough because, as you say, we're operating globally. And the commission met with um, met with, with, the AI, with, with the US, the European Commission met with the US last week, the US regulations, with a view to moving forward on developing some sort of a common approach uh, to the use of AI. In fact, and Rishi Sunak, the UK Prime Minister, is in the US this week. And again, AI is on his agenda. It's number one on his agenda. We need to move towards uh, regulating it, putting proper supervision in place. And, and, and for, if, if we have that proper supervision, it will give confidence then to people who are using it and who feel that we were interacting it they know that there's a supervision in there and and, and it'll develop it'll develop a trust in the whole ai system yeah. but it can't be allowed to operate in a kind of a wild west uh, with no regulation the word uh, regulation i've seen the word guardrails used as well just to, to you know let's yeah. let's allow it to develop let's you let's utilize the, the benefits which are enormous climate uh, food production, health care, medical care, absolutely really important there. And, uh, um, but let's put some controls on it. Okay. And that's where we're moving to now. Okay. Uh, and both and at European level and internationally as well. So and be, before I let you go, because it's funny that you, mm. you touched on and mentioned the word um, uh, cancer. Um, you mm. are one of the MEPs working on the right to be forgotten for cancer su- survivors. Uh, is it time to legislate for that? I think, think it is. I mean, we have absolutely I'd welcome the right to be forgotten for cancer survivors means that those who have survived cancer, who are living uh, in the in survival mode and their doctor has said, you know, get on with your, your life, uh, that they wouldn't be discriminated against when it comes to seeking uh, financial, buying financial products. And that can lead to um, discrimination, accessing mortgages. It's happening uh, It's happening to some people. Irish Cancer Society are very active in surveying mm. uh former patients and they said yes they have been discriminated against now the um 
in, in Ireland, uh, we have a code of conduct that the Insurance Federation have introduced this week, which is really, really good. I welcome that. But we need a directive to make sure that every that it's law. Code of conduct is one thing and it's welcome, but we need to have law. So we have in the Consumer Credit Directive, which is going through parent at the moment, ensured that there is a right to be forgotten for cancer survivors included in that. It's the first step that will be legislated for and recognised. So it means every European country will have to do it. Some countries have the provision already, like France, Netherlands, Luxembourg, Portugal. Uh, they ha have it and it, it's, it's worked very well. It hasn't in, in, in ensured that there's been a major uh, increase in premiums for, for those who for those for the for the general population. But I think it's a very important right to recognize that you know, if you've been diagnosed with cancer, lived through it and survived that it wouldn't come against you again a second time. Yeah, and it seems, you know, uh, uh, cancer survivors, even decades after their treatment has come to an end, can have a problem trying to access insurance or maybe a mortgage uh, product. OK, we leave it there. Listen, mm -hmm. and Deirdre, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Some of your texts are coming in. A listener looking for help. Hi, Patricia, do you or anybody listening? Uh, does anybody know someone who can make me a labyrinth in my garden? I'm not looking for a maze with hedges. A labyrinth is a continuous spiral path made of grass. I can't find anyone who can make me one. So can anybody point us in the direction of, is it a landscape gardener, I wonder, you're looking for? A continuous spiral path made of uh, grass. I can pictures in my mind's eye they would look quite nice uh, all right does anybody know uh, and I don't know where in the city or county that this sister is texting us from does but has anybody maybe had a, a labyrinth of grass made in their garden and they got somebody in to do it that maybe you could pass us on a name and a telephone number or a referral that would be great if anybody can help us with that uh, please give John Paul a call 0818 103 103 and Bernice was on earlier and I didn't ignore your text Bernice I just wanted to get an answer for you before I uh, read it out Bernice lives in Morrison's Quay in the city and she noticed this morning when she got up she went to fill the sink to do a little bit of washing up and she noticed that the water was what she described as terribly a terrible brown colour a dark brown colour and she contacted us to say has anybody else noticed it anybody else rang in and what should she do about it so we got on to Irish Water who have come back to tell us that Ishka Aaron, Irish Water, are investigating reports of discoloration affecting areas of the Cork City Centre. So Bernice, that's good for you to know. You're not on your own. It isn't just your tap. Uh, and Ishka Aaron are currently monitoring the situation. Now they gave us no more than that. So they didn't give a, a boiled water notice. They didn't say, you know, you can't use it or anything. They're investigating it at the moment. And if we get anything further on that for Bernice and other people affected by that in the city centre before the close of the programme, we will bring it to you. Thank you for your text, so Bernice, to 86 The stage is planning to build at least 1,500 modular homes and the plan is is to build them by the end of next year. Obviously this would help to ease some way, ease the housing crisis. It's the Department of Housing. They have now told local councils to use what, what's called 
Modern Methods of Construction. It's known as MMC for short, Modern Methods of Construction. And obviously Modern Methods of Construction include these rapid build modular uh, housing and councils have been told start using them to build social houses on public land. And they've come up with this target of 1,500 homes and it's expected that they'll be built by the end of next year and they'll be built across 30 sites all over the country. And you may remember it was just uh, before Christmas last December, 94 million euro was allocated to local authorities all over the country for the purpose of building social houses under these what they're calling modern methods of construction, so i.e. the modular homes. But they were told when that money was allocated that they had to have the money spent and these houses built no later than 2024, so the end of next year. The Taoiseach, Leah Varadkar, of course, he's previously, previously spoken about modular homes and how they should be built and we should be using them to tackle the crisis that we have uh, in, when it comes to homelessness. And of course, we know it's hitting record levels and unfortunately, every month when we get a breakdown of the number of people homeless in this country, we seem to break the record. It seems to be a new record. We break the break record of the previous month and then that becomes the uh, new record. But Patrick O'Donovan who is the junior minister for the Office of Public War- Works he actually suggested earlier this week that land that has already been earmarked for social housing by local authorities that that could be used to build modular homes for asylum seekers and when I read that I just thought oh Patrick when you come out with statements like that land that has been set aside for social housing for people who are already on the council's lists. And when you hear the minister saying we could use that to house asi- build and use it to si- house asylum seekers, it just fuels that anti-refugee and that anti-migrant sentiment of, you know, Ireland for the Irish and Irish first. And I always get worried when I hear, and I know he's coming from a good place, we know that the refugees need, need to be housed. But when, when they say land that was earmarked for social housing say we'll use that instead to build modular homes for refugees it just fuels people's anger locally particularly people who might have been on or might have a family member on a housing list for quite uh, some time and a spokesperson for the Department of Children said modular housing is intended to house Ukrainian uh, refugees and we know there's been a number of modular homes already been built and they're nearing completion ready for Ukrainians. Now, the minister did say that the use of the units may also provide the government with an opportunity to examine the use of rapid build modular homes for a range of housing needs, which may include social housing. So that to me is almost like, well, we'll build these modular homes, we'll put the Ukrainian refugees in and we'll see how they get on. And if it all works out, then we'll use them for social housing. But yet we've got the We've got the Taoiseach coming out and allocating this money and saying to the councils, build modular homes and use them to, for the housing crisis that we find ourselves in. And of course, we're coming in now, well, we're into to the summertime and we're into universities on a break and secondary schools uh, are out. So up to 5,000 beds in student accommodation is now going to be used to house uh, immigrants during the summer. We remember last year, the state did the very same thing. They uh, procured thousands of beds. Last summer, it was for the Ukrainian refugees who were arriving in huge numbers last uh, summer. And many of them, when they initially arrived, uh, they were moved into university campuses across uh, the country. So the plan 
is to do the same thing in the coming months. Then obviously all the accommodation then returns to regular student use in time for the uh, autumn uh, term. There are nearly 90 Ukrainians are arriving, continue to arrive in Ireland uh, every day. But one would worry when you look at what's happening in Ukraine at the moment and when you saw what happened with the massive flooding that's happening because of the destruction of the uh, dam. I mean, I was looking at a footage last night on the t- TV of, you know, whole villages, fields and roads completely submerged uh, and people being rescued from their rooftops, particularly in the Kherson uh, region. So you're sort of looking at people's houses are literally gone. Uh, so you're thinking, will that lead to more Ukrainians who have done their best to stay and trying to stay while the war is going on? You wonder if your house is taken away from you, will we see more refugees from Ukraine deciding to move and will some of them come to uh, Ireland? As I say, at the moment, it's about 90 uh, a day. Uh, we There's currently 83,000 mostly women and children who have so far been granted temporary leave and 61,000 of them have been provided with accommodation by the state. Others, of course, have moved in with family members and uh, friends. But the big, big problem, of course, for the government um, they're struggling to house the international protection applicants, the asylum seekers that are arriving. And I did see in the Irish Examiner uh, today that around 176 international protection applicants are to be given emergency shelter intended accommodation. Now, this is going to be at the former Central Mental Hospital in Dundrum in Dublin, and that's going to happen in the coming weeks. That site is actually owned by the Office of Public Works. Now, it's in the process of being transferred over uh, to the Land Development Agency and there is a plan there to... uh, There's planning permission for over 800 homes, but the government now plans to erect tents similar to what they used in Gormanstown Army Camp last year in County Meath. They're going to put them on the site um, until at least September. And then existing building that's on the site that can be used for showers and toilets and, and for eating, etc. Uh, but sources were adamant that if this that it is going to go ahead, but it won't delay or halt the planned housing uh, development. So we're back to uh, housing people in uh, tents. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. C103 Jobs. A kitchen supervisor is wanted. Uh, for work in the Newmarket area. Contact Monica on 029 60633. Cork University Hospital, they're holding an open day tomorrow, Saturday from 8.45 in the morning. It's for nurses to work in their expanding critical care unit. Now, previous ICU experience is not necessary, but you need to book a time slot if you're planning on going along tomorrow. And you can do that by emailing Claire Crowley 8 at hse.ie An evening customer support agent is wanted to work in Blackpool 5pm to 10pm at night Full time hours are also available CVs to human resources at armaconnect.com And health assistants and social care workers are needed in Charleville Please apply to St Joseph's Foundation You can go onto their website or you can call Neve on 086 084 3733. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is 
C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And we're stronger when together. Ours to protect. Brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours to protect.ie for more info. Now, as we face global challenges such as climate change, resource depletion and social inequality, the urgency to adopt sustainable practices becomes more apparent than ever. Our new feature called Ours to Protect will shed light on how sustainability touches every aspect of our lives from the food we eat to the products we consume, to the way we design cities and foster community resilience. Throughout this feature, we'll be joined by experts and change makers who are at the forefront of the sustainability movement. Together, we'll examine the innovative strategies and groundbreaking technologies that are revolutionising industries and paving the way for a more sustainable future. However, sustainability is not just about the efforts of governments and organisations. It also rests in the hands of individuals like you and me. We'll explore how our everyday choices, whether in transportation, energy consumption, our waste management can have a profound impact on shaping a sustainable world for future generations. Our aim is to inspire and empower listeners as we believe that each and every one of us has a role to play in fostering sustainability by exploring the challenges, the opportunities and the success stories surrounding this global movement. We hope to ignite a sense of optimism and motivate positive action. And joining me to discuss why we need to become greener and more sustainable. I'm joined by Deirdre Duff of Friends of the Earth. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. And thank you uh, so much for joining us this morning. I have to say every day this week, I think because my mind is so focused on this new feature that we, we were doing every single newspaper I opened up this week or every time I went online, it just seemed to be more and more bad news when it came uh, to the climate. I mean, you know, I was reading about less than an eighth of all the materials used in Europe came from recycled waste only yesterday. Today, I was seeing uh, comments that scientists are warning that global warming brought on by human activity is continuing at an unprecedented rate and has been over the past uh, two years. And greenhouse gas emissions are at an all time high. Why and where are we going wrong? So I think, yeah, you're right. Look, we're, we're in a, a very serious situation. Um, I suppose just firstly, maybe to say too, I think it's really wonderful that you're doing this project. Um, so really, really good to hear that. Um, and I think in terms of where we're going wrong, like we do have the answers, we do have the solutions. I think we're lacking the political will to, to, to act on this. Um, so I suppose I think we should let that be a reason for hope. It's not... It's not a hopeless case. We can act, but we just, as you say, all of us have to to get involved in 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 pushing for action on this really existential issue. Yeah, because um, I mean, we learned we learned just this week um, how far Ireland is from reaching our greenhouse gas emissions targets by the end of the decade. We're way off. We are. We are way off. And I suppose we have to realise, too, that even if we were to reach those targets, they wouldn't add up to our fair share globally. Um, so we've an awful lot of work to do and I think we have to probably the time for tinkering around the edges is gone you know we've left it too late 
Um, so we really need to to just recognise that we need serious action here, you know. Um, but I think the thing is that, and and you mentioned this when you were kind of describing your project that we have a climate crisis, but we also have an inequality crisis. And I think maybe the more positive thing is that if we get climate action right, we can hugely reduce inequality and we can actually really improve standards of living for the majority of people. So I think we have to keep those kind of co-benefits in mind and to think that, look, we can actually do something really positive here that will not only protect the planet that we depend on for life, but that will also make people's lives better. And I suppose just to give one example of that, like at the moment, we have this crippling dependence on fossil fuels to heat our homes, to power us. Um, and those exp those fossil fuels are very, very expensive, as we've found even more so to be the case in the last uh, year or so. Um, and they're also very polluting and they're also very dirty. They're volatile. Um, they're causing huge, huge health problems, too. But if we could break our dependence on fossil fuels and do things like retrofitting our homes with better insulation, getting heat pumps installed, we could lift people who are struggling, really struggling at the moment to pay energy bills and think back to the winter when so many people were essentially in energy poverty. Uh, we could free ourselves of that energy poverty. You know, we could keep our homes warm and, and healthy without needing to pay huge amounts to heat our homes um, while also damaging the planet. So I guess that's just one example of where we could reduce inequality and make our lives better while also uh, yeah, and, uh, I, and I think that's a really good example because, the you know, the environment will, will benefit from that retrofitting. But the person living in that home who maybe was one of those ones battling fuel poverty last winter, they, they will hugely benefit. What about transport? And we hear a lot about transport uh, emissions. Again, it's one of those ones where we're way off the target on our transport uh, emissions. What, what can we do under transport? The really important thing here is to improve our public transport systems. You know, we need to make it easy for people to get from A to B, especially in rural Ireland, without having to rely on, on cars. Um, so we need a massive kind of moonshot effort at, at massively improving our, our public transport system. Um, and I think we can all play a role here in this. Like, we might feel disempowered if we live in an area where there just is no public transport. But there are things we can do. You know, we can talk to our local TDs, our local councillors, about the need for better public transport. And every time we have those conversations, we're increasing the, the political will and the, the, the urgency at rolling out public transport. So every one of us can play a part in this. Um, and I suppose at Friends of the Earth, we're trying to help people do that, and we have different ways. So, for example, if people go onto our website, friendsoftheearth.ie, you can find different ways that you can get involved with other people in your own local area to get involved in things like this. So at the moment, we're running a cuppa for climate. So there's a toolkit on our website that you can sign up for, and it will help you... Uh, gather together a few of your friends, a few of your neighbours, family members or so on, or maybe do it in your workplace where you can all get together, have a cuppa and have a chat about climate issues in your local area. And there's also the option, optional, if you want to do some fundraising for Friends of the Earth too. Or if you want to do something a bit more, you know, that's getting more involved in, in say, talking to TDs and so on, we have these One Future groups. So people can go to onefuture.ie. Uh, forward slash join 
and basically if you sign up there we will link you up with people in your local area who want to take action on climate so maybe want to talk to your tds about the need for local public transport or whatever it is maybe you want to get solar panels on your local school that's another thing we're working on so there's lots of things you can do and i think really once you get involved in this hope comes from comes from action. Yeah, you know, well you said. Know well said. And, making a difference. Yeah, and I think rather than burying our heads in the sand, let's let's you know see see what we can do. I mean, do you what, what is your view on the proposal from the EU on the the nature restoration law? I know the Commission are proposing to restore at least twenty percent of the EU's land and sea areas by twenty thirty and repair all ecosystems in need of restoration by twenty fifty. That is that a step in the yeah. right direction? Absolutely, you know, and but as as Ireland, we need to support that. Um, I think the problem at the moment is that uh, some Irish MEPs have 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 been obstructing it. Um, for example, say the the party that Finnegale is in in Europe, the European People's Party, they walked out of the negotiations on that. Um, so again, we can do something on that as ordinary citizens. We can talk to our local. Fine Gael MEPs and all our MEPs and ask them to look, this is really important. We should be supporting this. Um, and I suppose just the. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details of that nature restoration measure like our habitats are in such a, a, such a perilous state at the moment um, and some of this stuff we don't maybe see straight away but like we rely on say pollinators insects on those habitats for our food we wouldn't have food without you know the insects and the pollinators that make growing and producing food possible and which also make you know, our farming possible, which is so important um, for people's lives and for people's livelihoods. So getting, and, and, and it relies on our ecosystems. So getting those into better shape is just really crucial. Um, and I think maybe as we start kind of looking around at, at ecosystems and, you know, getting even simple things like learning the names of birds, learning the ends of insects, we can recognize the beauty and the diversity in that. 
Well said. And then we start to feel if we lost it, it, it would mean so much. One simple little thing, Patricia, that I've been kind of noticing and maybe even talking to, to older people about is that, you know, maybe 30 years ago when you were dri- if you were driving, um, even only a short distance, you know, maybe you washed your car b- beforehand and you, you, you drove a short distance down the road and you looked at your bumper after and it was full of splats from insects that you'd run into. Now you can drive maybe 100 miles after cleaning your car and there might only be a few insects. So like our insect population is is collapsing. It's in decline. Wow, um, that, that's a really yeah. good point. That is a really good point. Listen, uh, Deirdre, it's a pleasure uh, speaking to you. Friendsoftheearth.ie, you have a great website. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Really uh, pleasure. Uh, good Thank morning you. to you. That is uh, Deirdre Duff of uh, Friends of the uh, Earth uh, kicking off our hours to protect. Now, there's always a lot of talk around recycling and waste management. And as we're embarking on this project, Hours to Protect, we wanted to have an honest conversation with people from Cork about how they are taking measures to manage waste. We hit the streets of Cork to ask people if they recycle and what measures they take to make sure that they are being sustainable at home and at work. I do recycle. Um, I make sure that the plastic is clean before it goes into the recycling bin. And if I'm unsure about something, I check the back and like the different symbols and what they mean, whether something can or can't be recycled. I do, yeah. We recycle at home. We recycle, put our plastics in one bin and our food in another. Um, we make com- conscious effort, I suppose, to recycle. I do recycle and I really hope I recycle correctly. Um, From primary school, I think we were one of the first green schools in Cork, or even Ireland at least. So I've learned from a young age, and all my friends have as well, how to recycle. And even at University College Cork, um, we're a plastic-free campus now, so that's really great. I wouldn't say I'm very practically crazy about it, but I try to do my part because I know that even the small piece really matters. So I have like a general recycling bin for dry recyclables, and I also have a bin for like food waste and and separate for compost and stuff. So... Again, just like basic stuff that everybody does. Yeah, so in my house, we have the four different bins, the compost glass, um, recycling, and then just general waste. But we live like on the side of a public street. So often like it will, that stuff gets contaminated because people on nights out throw their pizza boxes in and like it's just like it's it's quite disheartening i do when the bins are available but since i live in an apartment building that only has glass recycling i only then recycle glass so i would uh clean it and then let it dry and put it in the bins um at work we have more recycling so i would do it there as well but um mostly just trash really unfortunately uh, yes it requires that i think of like that we that we now have the capacity for recycling and that's facilitated through our waste collection so it's easy enough for people it just requires an extra bin in the house and just a knowledge of what is and isn't recyclable because there are some things like soft plastics that are on the border and how you clean things but it's it's something when when you see the amount of waste that goes into the waste waste bin that's really distressing the more you can put into the recycling bin is so much better for glass recycling uh, the closest glass recycling facility is 10 minutes away so technically we do recycle in my flat but like there is um, a year of glass waste accumulated on the table in the corner of a flat that we're like mm, we should take it to the recycling bin someday <laughs> we will eventually but not yet recycling is so specific and so intensely specific to the product i try my absolute best 
to recycle. I try and reuse more if I can than recycle. My biggest shout out that I really want everybody to know is when you have compostable, vegware is the brand, but we would now just kind of like biro call it a vegware. Anything that's a compostable cafe stuff, the check that it is if you're going to put it in your compost, check it's home compostable because so often they are machine enzyme compostable. And if you don't have the big enzyme biomass thing, you can't do it. So you're actually just generating more plastic. It's so much better. Just bring your own mug if you can. And thanks to the people who took part on our Vox Pops on the street of Cork. Now, Paulie McDonough is Circular Economy Coordinator for Southern Waste Region. And she joins me to further discuss how to recycle correctly. Good morning to you, Pauline. Good morning, Patricia. And, and and thank you for taking our call. Good to hear people on that Vox Pop, isn't it? Trying to do their bit when it comes to recycling. But so many people will admit getting it wrong. I mean, what are the common mistakes? Absolutely. So I'd just like to start by saying that was very encouraging because nobody said they weren't recycling. But some people did say that they were confused or that there was a little bit of a problem with knowing what goes where. So I suppose it's something that it's hard for us all to remember because the rules have changed over the years. So the most important thing, the the simplest rule that we can give people is everything that goes into your recycling bin should be placed in their clean dry and loose. And this is really important because even if you put the wrong thing in, as long as it's clean, dry and loose, when it gets to the big recycling centre, it can be sorted by the really knowledgeable staff that are dealing with this every day. Because that is a big issue when people, and they're trying to do their bit with recycling in the recycling bin, but if that bin gets contaminated, everything in the bin can be, can be yes. ruined. Absolutely, Patricia. And that poor lady who was saying that she puts her bins out and then somebody comes along and throws in a takeaway packaging, you know, and if it's a pizza box, that's relatively clean. But if it was, say, you know, like a curry or a Mm. Chinese, that could damage Mm. all the paper that's in there. And so this is a difficulty, you know, and, and we see this at events always, you know, nighttime recycling is never as good as daytime recycling. Um, and then the other rule of thumb that I would give to people is the food waste. And a lot of people mention the food waste. So food waste is very specific. We need to be really careful with food waste recycling. It's the food waste we want and not the packaging. And what we have seen is a a doubling of the amount of plastic that people have put into their food waste bin. So this is simply where people aren't removing the packaging. And then when it goes to that industrial composter, like somebody was talking about there, um, that material gets shredded. It's very hard for us to ensure that we keep it out of the food waste stream. And let's remember, we're making compost from this. So we certainly don't want to be adding plastic to our soils through compost. So this is really important. It's only the food waste that should go into that waste stream, that food waste recycling bin. Okay, and I I think we are thankfully getting a little bit better at recycling our food waste. But Pauline, ultimately, we should have very little food waste. Oh, absolutely. And prevention is the key. And remember that, you know, there is food poverty in Ireland as well. It's really important that we all take a moment, take a breath 
always before we go into our shopping, make a shopping list, only buy what we think we are going to use. And I know in weather like this, our plans can often change, but we should do our utmost, um, you know, environmentally and morally to prevent um, food waste from ever arising. And of course, there's unavoidable food waste. And that's the type of material that we're interested in collecting, you know, like, say, for example, your peelings and your coffee grounds and all of those things. But you're right, Patricia, prevent first, recycle second. Okay, and you've got further information. You've got an excellent website, mywaste.ie, if people want to get further information. That's it, absolutely. And mywaste.ie is specific to Ireland because we know if you just Google a recycling question, you're going to get answers from all over the world. And that's why the government have invested in our own specific waste management site uh, for Ireland, all about preventing and recycling and composting all of the items that make up waste management specific, as I say, to our own Irish context. Okay, listen, Pauline, uh, pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you so much, Patricia. Good morning. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Pauline uh, McDonough, Circular Economy Coordinator for the Southern Waste Region. Now, to discuss how we can help the environment by looking at our own homes, I'm joined by Shane Murphy and Shane is with Ashgrove Renewables and we're going to be discussing retrofitting our homes. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, And you're very welcome. I suppose the obvious question, what are the advantages of retrofitting our homes? Well, apart from obviously trying to reduce the energy cost of your home, uh, which is, I suppose, uh, front and centre for everybody at the moment, many people are also trying to get more comfortable homes. So they might be happy with the amount they're paying, but for the amount, they mightn't be getting enough heat. So we have a lot of people living in older houses and they're just very careful about turning the heat on because they know it's going to cost. So, yeah, um, by insulating and... Uh, maybe improving windows or doors or installing heat pumps or solar panels. Yes, you are getting, uh, you're reducing your running costs, but also improving the, the quality of living and, a- and air quality. I and suppose. I think when people think of retrofitting this trade, I think, oh, that would be way too expensive for me. There are a lot of grants. I mean, the government are really pushing people to do this. They are. There. Yeah, there are uh, probably five or six main grant types at the moment from the vacant and derelict house grant, which is 50,000 for the vacant and 70,000 for a derelict house. Uh, sorry, 20 on top of the 50. Um, but the SEI upgrade grants are anything up to kind of 35,000. And so, yeah, we've seen over the last few years essentially a doubling in those grants. And uh, But I think most people are still really confused. Um, so we get people calling um, or coming to our webinars or seminars, which we do every week. And uh, they, they're aware that the grants are there, but they don't know how to get at them. And it's quite a confusing, uh, I suppose, mechanism. Um, the amount of grants is confusing. So they really, when they come to us, uh, they're trying to figure out how to, how to go yeah, about it. I don't know what it is. The government never seems to make those things uh, easy. I, I, I don't know why. So when someone is thinking of uh, retrofitting, can you retrofit your house in stages? You can. And if so, where do you begin? Yeah, you can. It, it might not be the right way to do it, uh, but uh, I suppose somebody on a budget, it might be the only way they, uh, they can manage it. Uh, but what the government are trying to achieve is that, um, say, somebody like Ashgrove or any of the other um, uh, solutions providers, while they're inside in your house doing, say, for example, attic insulation and you have a project manager there, it's often uh, very beneficial to also carry out some other works because, you know, you have, a man- you have a guy managing the project anyway and to manage a few, you know, windows and doors or wall insulation at the same time 
is um, very beneficial cost-wise. But if you wanted to take a step-by-step approach, there is what they call an individual measure grant. You'll find it on the SEI website. Um, uh, And so you wanted to insulate an attic or just install solar panels or put in a heat pump, uh, you can do that uh, on a step-by-step basis over a number of years, no problem. Yeah, you, you mentioned heat pumps and some of the other experts we've been talking to this morning, heat pumps keeps... Talk to me about what is a heat pump. So a heat pump is essentially the same as your fridge or your freezer. It um, it takes heat from a essentially a colder area and dumps that heat into a warmer area. Uh, we're familiar with the technology, as I say, from fridges or freezers. Uh, the reason that we're interested in it as a technology is, number one, it uses electricity, which at some point in the future will be zero carbon, you know, from wind and um, uh, hydro, etc. Um, but so it's it's using zero carbon or low carbon electricity, but uh, it's also an extremely efficient process. So for every unit of electricity that the unit consumes, it's uh, harnessing from the outside air or from the ground three times more, four times more. So wow. we call it three or four hundred percent efficient uh, in layman's terms. Yeah. So but um, yeah, I suppose it's up to the the designer to make sure that it is as efficient as possible. We sometimes hear about systems that are poorly designed or installed and the running costs can be that little bit higher. If the radiators are too small, as an example, obviously uh, the the system has to run for longer and it has to maybe run hotter than it would like to. And we do hear about higher running costs than uh, we should. Uh, But yeah, it's an extremely uh, good technology. It's proven it's being utilized now right across Europe. but yeah, every now and then we do hear of issues, but yeah. they, they sh- simply shouldn't be there. And then solar panels, uh, Shane, we've had glorious weather, a bit overcast now today. But um, I, I was looking online on people who I was on a Facebook page where people who had solar panels installed and they were beyond excited, excited with the amount of electricity they were generating over the last uh, few uh, the last few weeks. But do the solar panels work even when we have duller days like today? Yeah, but uh, not not as well as they will in, in uh, summer. Bright sunshine, yeah. yeah. Yeah, correct. So, you know, it's kind of a statistical approach. So we're expecting over a year that we'll uh, supply or generate uh, 50 to 60% of your electricity in a domestic house, and that will be stacked mainly to summer. I mean, there's, that's mm. quite intuitive. We shouldn't be surprised by that. You will get salespeople telling you that it works even if the sun isn't shining. And it's that is true to some extent, but it's probably only... 20% of what it would be on a really sunny day. There's no surprise in that. Yeah. Unfortunately, we do hear of people being sold it as it doesn't matter whether the sun is shining or not. And that's simply not true. But you know that by your little solar lights that are in the garden. Of course. In the winter, you'll get a little bit of light out of them, but, yeah. but, but you won't get much. Correct. Are solar panels proving very popular? Are yeah. a lot of people going for them? They are. They are. For the first time, I suppose, in, we're in business 22 years. And for the first time in, in that period, I suppose, for the last year or two, uh, the price of panels has come down a lot and the price of electricity has probably trebled over the last uh, 36 months. So, you know, you can certainly say to a person today that it's a four-year payback, it's a six-year payback, whereas previously it might have been 15 or more. So, yeah, it's a very good investment today. And really, without even asking a person about their home, you can tell them today that it's you, you should do it. Mm. I, I was surprised to hear you say you're 22 years in business. Has technology changed over those 22 years? Uh, some of it has. I would say the likes of solar panels, incrementally, it hasn't been massive step changes. Um, but I suppose price has come down. You know, when these things come out first, when we started, heat pumps were really niche. It was a very small uh, cohort of people who were interested. Um, so it was really niche at the time. As it becomes more mainstream, of course, 
uh, it becomes cheaper naturally because there are more people offering the same service. It brings the price down. The price of the product comes down as more and more manufacturers are doing it, etc. Same as batteries or the same as electric cars or anything. It just gets cheaper. Mm. But yeah, I would say the, no massive change. The one thing I suppose that we've seen is um, that general uh, knowledge uh, with Joe Public is better than it was. Um, probably sadly, uh, the trades people, we, we we don't have enough of them in Ireland at the moment, we know that. And um, But yeah, so that's probably the big issue. The deployment of uh, these these types of technologies will be dependent on trades people. At the moment, we we don't have enough of them. That's, I mean, that, that's, I know it's an aside issue, but it's an issue we've often discussed on the programme, apprenticeships and trying to get more young people involved in apprenticeships. We, we really have an issue with that. We do. Yeah, do, yeah, yeah. It, it really has to be worked on. You mentioned that you do webinars. I, I, I'm interested in this. You, you run online webinars. Yeah, we do. And we've been doing it. Uh, well, not the webinars, but we've been doing seminars for about 12 years for, for essentially the same issue. Anybody building a new house or retrofitting a house. We've been doing kind of monthly seminars. So a person could come and sit quietly or ask a load, load yeah. of questions, depending on the personality. Um, but they're very casual days. But we've been doing it for 12 years. We have one on actually tomorrow at the GAA complex in Mallow. Uh, we run them every month. Um, that's a face to face seminar is probably three hours. And that's uh, specifically for the retrofit market person who wants to know, should I dry line a wall? Should I pump the cavity, do the attic insulation? Can I get grants for windows and doors? Uh, or a person who's totally gutting an old farmhouse? How do we go about it? It's actually extremely simple. There are steps to it, but um, we go through that. We also run an online seminar or a webinar uh, every Tuesday at six o'clock and we repeat that every Thursday at lunchtime. So to try and accommodate people after mm. work, during work. Uh, yeah, because I, I think you're right. I think people are desperate for knowledge. People are desperate to, to find out more. Yeah. So how can people um, um, access your website? So ashgrove.ie is the website. Uh, we're currently updating it, I suppose, to, for it to be maybe a little bit clearer with the grants as they as they change, which they have a lot in uh, in the last 12 months. So our, our contact our, Ash, our office uh, here in Mallow. Um, yeah. The and, and you're busy. Yeah, things are crazy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I thought as much. Listen, yeah. I really appreciate because you are so busy. I really appreciate you joining us in studio today. Thank you You're for that. Welcome. That is uh, Shane uh, Murphy of Ashgrove Renewables in Mallow. And our thanks also uh, to our previous uh, speakers, so Pauline McDonough of the Circular Economy of the Southern Waste Region and also Deirdre Duff of uh, Friends of the Earth. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. To protect. Brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours2protect.ie for more info. Uh, thank you to all our guests who took part as we kicked off our new feature that will run throughout the year, Hours to Protect. We do have a website if you want to check it out, hourstoprotect.ie. And we're also inviting people to take part in an online survey. You can find the survey link on the C103 at socials. Now, I've been asked to give a mention to two very special free workshops that are taking place at the Cork Opera House tomorrow afternoon, Saturday. It's part of Crinoon Nanog. It's a day of free Creativity for children and young people. At one o'clock, you can join the Cork City Samba Band to learn all about samba music and the wonderful sound of samba and music. And there'll be some incredible live performers. And then at half past two, one of Cork's 
finest vocalist, the lovely Karen Underwood, is set to share all she knows with the young people about performing soul music. Now, both Cork Opera House workshops are suitable for young people aged 10 to 18. They're free to attend, but I'm told that spaces are limited. So if you want to go along or you have a young person in the house who'd like to go along, they need to book the slot in advance and you can book it by going to their website, corkoperahouse.ie, www.corkoperahouse.ie and good luck to everybody uh, taking part uh, there. And I can't let the day go without mentioning that the Dursey Island cable car reopening today. What fantastic news. We have spoken so much about this cable car in the last 14 months since it was closed. Of course, the council had no choice. It had to close uh, because they needed to replace the tower structures, the tracks and the haul ropes also had to be uh, replaced. And of course, if you've never been on the cable car uh, before, it carries up to six passengers. And I'm told the actual cable car itself has also been uh, refurbished. And actually, the Jersey Island cable car, we know it's the only one in Ireland, but it's the only one in Europe which travels over open sea uh, water and anyone who lives in that area will tell you how treacherous the waters below uh, can be. So that means it's the safest way to get on and off Dursey Island between the uh, mainland. And of course, Dursey is on the western tip of the Beira uh, Peninsula. Uh, the cable car was first opened back on the 5th of December 1969. And I give a prize. Who was the Taoiseach back in 1969? I won't tell you until I get to the end of this piece. But who do you think it was? Uh, it, it When it initially got up and running back in 1969, it transported both people and livestock. But I'm told about a decade ago, they stopped transporting uh, livestock and of course it is vitally important for the handful of people I think there's about half a dozen permanent residents who live on the island they have really been discommoded for the last 14 months but then of course there are others who live on the mainland but farm on the island. Some of them will go out and, and they will might stay there for a few weeks or they go over and back uh, every day. So it's been a huge, huge inconvenient for them, inconvenience for them for the last 14 months because the cable car hasn't been uh, in place and it's been really tough, particularly when there was some very, very uh, bad uh, weather. But uh, all behind us now, cable car is back up and uh, running. And of course, the promotion of the Wild Atlantic uh, Way has meant the popularity of the cable car has really grown in the last number of years, particularly visitors to the area love the idea of going out on this cable car. It's about a 15 minute round trip and pre-COVID, about 20,000 people every year took the cable car journey out to uh, Dursey Island. Now, majority, about 5,000 they reckoned every year would have gone in the peak months of July and August but all year round uh, people just want to go out on the cable car and visit uh, wonderful uh, Dursey uh, Island but of course it got damaged I think Storm Barrow was the one that did the most damage to the towers back in December of, of 2021. So we knew something had to be done about it, but it was the closure of it that really just caused so much upset. And as I say, we, we carried a, a number of interviews here on the programme. But I see Tim Lucy thanking everyone involved, in particular the, the project partners who worked on it. And he said that the newly upgraded Dursey Island cable car service maintains the character and the vision of the original 
cable car and it is ensuring resilience and secure access to the island for many, many years uh, to come. And the Mayor of Cork County, Councillor Danny Collins, in the last few days of Danny as uh, Mayor, he highlighted the safety of the reopening of the service because he says the service is not only an important transport link but it's also a cherished attraction that adds to the natural beauty and tourism potential of the uh, region. And he went on to uh, thank Cork County Council for the investment because it now has been safeguarded for the future. So best of luck to that handful of people who live out on Dursey Island and those that farm out there, but also to the many visitors now who will be able to go back out onto the island. And as I say, it was first opened in uh, 1969 and the Taoiseach at the time was Jack Lynch. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. A summer fashion show is being held in the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen uh, tonight at 8 o'clock. Proceeds will go to the Skibbereen Community Playgroup and the After School Club. Tickets are available from the Play School or from Salon 31 in Skibbereen. Bingo is on tonight in Mallow GAA Complex 815. They've got a jackpot of 4,700 and all monies raised goes to the running of the Mallow GAA. Bingo is also on in Kildallery tonight at 8 in the store at the Creamery Yard. Doors open at 7, eyes down at uh, 8. And there will be an open day in Colleen's Charleville tomorrow, Saturday. It is to recruit experienced social care workers and health care assistants. And Donnerail Active Retirement Book Club will be held tomorrow, Saturday, 11am in the morning. There'll be arts and crafts also next Monday at 2 and then their meeting will follow immediately afterwards at 3. All are welcome. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Thank you to Michael and Castleton Bear for wanting me to give the listeners the heads up for John Green's Where the Road Takes Me programme on this uh, Sunday because he said let your listeners know that one of Bearer's favourite sons that's 90 year old Jerome Harrington who's better known as Jerry Blackball will be on air with John on Where the Road Takes Me on C103 at 7 o'clock on uh, Sunday Jerry according to Michael is known far and wide and it will make for very interesting listening indeed and uh, John Green's programme Where the Road Takes Me always a fascinating show but that looks like that is a must listen this uh, Sunday when Jerry Blackball will be one of John's guests. Thank you for that, uh, Michael, and thank you for giving me the heads up. Let me go to the phone lines. John is in New Two Pot House. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, Patricia. You have uh, an example of some bad driving. This was last Tuesday of this week. That's right, yeah. What happened? Yeah, I was coming from Lumberstone on on the way to Mallow. And just there by Waterloo, I was driving on the left-hand side of the road, hitting from Mallow, and a black Audi came towards me, absolutely flying. I said to myself, what am I going to do here? And I said, waited and waited, like Russian roulette. And I said, what am I, what's going to happen here? And I waited and waited, and she didn't. She failed to go over to her own side door, so at the last second, I had no choice, and I whip out of her way and go over, over across the road. And she kept going. Okay, she was coming against you. She was you. coming from Mallow side. I was coming from Lumberstone towards Mallow. 
And she was on the wrong side of the road. She was completely on the wrong side of the road. But we had black audio sticks and she was absolutely flying. And it was definitely a female, you could clearly see. But I'll tell you what happened. I put in at at, at, um, at Waterloo House, got interested, and the lady came on after, and she said, oh, well, I might just see that. And she had a child in the back of the car, and she was shaking as well. And she said, you see that? So I, of course I saw it. I said, I, said, you know, I was nearly killed. I said, but I don't, I don't know if she got the number or not. So I think that lady could come forward, and she might have got the number of the black audience. You, know? you, you didn't get the number or anything? I no, didn't. No, I didn't tell no. because I just... I. This second I just got out of the way in time because I'd, be, I'd been killed stone dead. Do you know what I mean? And, and the audience and, and could I, you I just coming towards me and towards me and I said, what am I going to do? Will I, will I, will I stay here? And, I know. Or will I cross the road? So at the last second I just pulled out of the way. And if you didn't, it, was, it would have been a head-on collision. A head-on collision, I, I wouldn't be speaking to you today, Patricia. You know, could because you, the, could the, the black see... body was absolutely, absolutely flying it, you know. Was she distracted? Was she looking at a mobile phone or I, something? I don't know, because I, I didn't have to look into her. I hope, hopefully, that, that she's not herself, just she's not a drugs or drink or anything. I didn't know her, her problem. Like, But the lady came after me, then they stopped over the road. She said to the lady who was driving. I didn't know who was driving the car, because I didn't have time, time to look I know. Actually, and the other know? lady that came upon her was, had been behind her, wasn't she? She was behind me, I oh. was behind me, and... And she actually pulled out when she saw her. Thanks for the God, because she, she had a she had um, a little child in the back of the car. You know what I mean? Yeah. So she was very frightened as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. So you're hoping what that the you'd like to report it, would you? I did report it to the guys. I actually only about twice that day, and, and there's got no reply. So I did report it. I did report it. But, uh, yeah. You know, I don't want anything to happen this day. I'm just I know. I know. I'm just hoping that she's all right. That she's not. She, she's nothing. You know, some kind of a medical condition. I know, I know. And you, you'd wonder, uh, did anybody... And it was last Tuesday, last Tuesday that's the 15, sixth. At, at, at 12.15. In the day? In the day, yeah. In the day, OK. So, uh, around about now. OK, so somebody else... What would be great if somebody had dash cam footage? footage. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Uh, along, along that road, yeah. Yeah, no. OK. All right, mind yourself out on the road, basically. I, I just worry. I know I'm the departure... I'm the departure lounge of life for myself at the moment. And <laughs> you... At my age, but I, I didn't want to go that way, you know you, I mean? But you get a fright. Ah, oh, the greatest fight of all times. Yeah, yeah, you, you really do. I went out to the church and lit a few candles well after. Done. Well done. Mind yeah. yourself, Jam. Yeah. Listen, thanks for that and uh, be careful on the roads, uh, folks. I don't know what's going on with that woman in the black Audi, but she she needs to be more mindful of where she's driving and how she is driving. Let me stay on cars. This is a North Cork listener. says, hi, Patricia. This is on the NCT. I had my car due for the National Car Test in February of this year, 2023. It unfortunately failed on the handbrake. Took it back to my mechanic and then took it back into the NCT to have the follow up test and it passed. But it was only after I took it back that my mechanic said, by the way, I did nothing at all to that car and I especially did nothing to the handbrake. Why are the NCT getting away with this sort of thing? I think, says this North Cork listener, that's why there's a huge backlog of cars uh, waiting. Scrap the NCT, Uh, Patricia, it's a money racket. You're not the first that I've heard where somebody has failed on something and taken it back and their mechanic has said there's nothing wrong, go back in and try again. It looks like if it's a different tester will pass it. I have no explanation for why that happens. The only thing would be if you would go, if, if after, if you knew when you were bringing the car back in for the test the second time, if you'd known at that stage that the mechanic did nothing when you got your certificate to then say, by the way, my mechanic did absolutely nothing and it's after passing. I'd be interested to see would 
the mechanic dealing with you be able to explain it or not because I, I absolutely do not know uh, the explanation for that because I've heard of other people who brought their car to their mechanic got everything tested out the mechanic said it's fine bringing it on for your NCT and then it fails on something and yet the mechanic said would disagree so I, I, I don't know I, I absolutely don't know um, I don't know if that's one of the reasons for, for the backlog I haven't heard of retests being one of the reasons for the backlog I know there's been a lot of reasons why there's a backlog. I mean, there's the whole COVID thing and people just catching up on their tests. There's also a lack. We're back again to a lack of tradespeople. There's a lack of mechanics. And I know they've gone, they're going overseas. The company are overseas recruiting uh, and they've got, they have managed to get in extra mechanics from overseas. And they're still the the crowd, Atlas who run the NCT, every time they get hauled before an Oireachtas committee, they will always point out the amount of no shows that they have every single week. I think the last time it was running at something like three and a half thousand tests nationwide. People book an NCT and then fail to show up or they cancel too late so the test can't be passed on to somebody else. So there's a variety of uh, reasons, even though they're adamant that they're getting very close to bringing everything back to the way it should be and where, what is it, we shouldn't be waiting any more than 12 working days, I think, for a test, even though I did read... Uh, earlier on uh, this week the number of people who were entitled to a free NCT if you can't get now there are certain terms and conditions but if you can't get a test within the 28 days then when you do get the test you don't have to pay the 55 euro but as I say there are certain terms and conditions attached to that but certainly there are a number of people who have managed to get a free uh, test and then does anybody have any advice for Dennis who writes and by text says I'm out of work through injury since September of last year I was on an occupational injury benefit uh, but that ran out on the 31st of March I then tried to go back to work but I was unable to do any of my duties due to the original injury from last September I struggled through for about two weeks but the pain got so bad I simply couldn't carry on I went to my GP and he she gave me a certificate for social welfare that was on the 7th of April I haven't received any payment to date and we're now at the 8th of June. They are telling me it's because I was self-employed up to June of 2022. I'm in arrears now on all of my loans and I can't get any answers as to what I am to do. Could you help me please put me and point me in the direction of somebody who can put me on the right track. I've been working since I was 13 years of age, always paid my taxes. And the time that I want something back, I'm being left without. That really is heartbreaking. The first thing I would say, uh, Dennis, if you are without payment, you can certainly go to the Community Welfare Office. I mean, that's kind of the safety net where you'll get a payment from them while they're trying to sort out what you're entitled to and what you're not entitled to. I, I I would suggest couple of things you could do. You could go to Citizens Information. They are fantastic at sitting down with you, going through all the dates where you were at work, where you weren't to work, where you were self-employed, where you were paying PRSI, where you were paying a self-employed PRSI. And they certainly will be able to go through and find out for you if you are entitled or if you're not uh, entitled. And if you're not entitled to anything, they certainly will be able to uh, tell you them if while well, you mightn't be enti- entitled to sick leave, you could be entitled, you should be entitled to something else. There is always a safety net there, as I say, the Community Welfare Office. The other place I would point you to, again, 
when someone sends in a text, I never know for sure, a part of the city or county, somebody is texting from your local TD in your area, whoever, whatever TD you normally deal with. The, the, certainly the TDs are great and the people working in their offices are great uh, to sort out things like that with uh, social welfare. But it's it seems ridiculous that anyone is expected to be from the 7th of April through to the, it's the 9th of June. Sorry, I said it was the 8th, it's the 9th of June. Of June. So that's April, May. Uh, you're, you're like you're two months without a payment. You can't survive uh, like that. Good luck with it and let us know how you get on, uh, Dennis. But citizens information, I certainly would be my first port of call. Uh, and then maybe your local TD. 0818-103-103. A scam to alert everybody too because Father's Day is not this weekend, it's the following weekend, isn't it? Um, and there's a, a kind of a scam doing the rounds that is linked in with uh, Father's Day. And it is Guinness, the owner of Guinness, the Diageo Group. They've come out and they're warning customers to be aware. It's it's a WhatsApp scam that is not in any way associated with Guinness. This WhatsApp scam purports to be a, a competition. Guinness are saying nothing to do with us, but it comes in. You might get a WhatsApp under the caption, uncover the hidden prize in Guinness Father's Day giveaway. And it's next to a photograph of a fridge full of Guinness. What they want people then to do is you click on the link and you're asked to answer a quiz and then you choose from several boxes to find the golden ticket. At that point, you're told you've won. But I guarantee you, everybody's told they're one. And then they ask you to share the link with 20 friends or five WhatsApp groups in order to claim your prize. Now, Guinness makers Diageo yesterday confirmed it's not behind the uh, promotion. It has spread rapidly throughout Ireland as well as the UK. So much so, they're obviously getting so many calls about it that they have now gone public. They say this is not a Guinness competition and it appears to be a scam. They're advising anyone who has received the WhatsApp message not to open the link and to delete it immediately. And this, when I was reading about this Guinness scam, it straight away reminded me of another one that happened. And Guinness are saying it is very similar to another fake contest that happened last year. And again, it was around Father's Day and it was your chance to win cans of Heineken. It was the Heineken beer Father's Day competition for 2022. But that was very quickly outed as a scam by the by the Dutch owners of uh, Heineken. Now, cyber criminals have long used messaging services like WhatsApp to try to lure victims in. But of course, now, because people got sucked in by this, WhatsApp, some WhatsApp users who got tricked are feeling so guilty because they think they put their friends at risk of having their details stolen by forwarding on uh, the link to them. Now, it's that type of scam. They're not looking for money. They're not looking for access Initially, anyway, they're not looking for access to people's bank account details, but it is very much a uh, scam. So beware of that if you get any WhatsApp or it could come through on any other messaging service. But anything purporting to be from Guinness and in particular the Guinness Father's Day giveaway, delete immediately. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Um, one of my favourite parts of the week when Mark Malone joins us in studio and we talk about movies. Good afternoon to you, Mark. I'm very flattered, thank uh, you. And you went along <laughs> to see Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, and then a second movie called Crater. Let me take a trailer from Guardians of the Galaxy. We're the Guardians of the Galaxy. 
All the love. You feel romantic, sexual love. No, no, I don't. For her. No. <laughs> All the laughs. No. Try again. No. Has led to this. That is sad. You know what's sad? People on Earth die when they're like 50. Are you about to die? I'm not 50. So what should we do next? Start your summer. Something good, something bad. With a happy ending. Knock it off! What? You got issues, Quill. Oh, come on. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now we're talking about uh, superhero movies. We're talking about Marvel comics. But I always think when, when I see something that's got volume three, it's the third movie, obviously, in the series. Do you need to have seen one and two to understand what's going on? Um, I don't think so. Okay. That's a good question. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, because obviously I've seen all three. Uh, will, I, will, will I ask if you've seen any No, it's not, and I was just checking. It was 2014 when the first one uh, came out. So, you know, it's nearly 10 years ago. And I'm just thinking, would people have even remembered what happened in the first one? Oh, well, I certainly do, because I've seen the first one a few times, because okay. it, 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 was, it was very, very good. And it, admittedly, it did catch everybody by surprise, because nobody was expecting it, because this was one of kind of the, the comics from the Marvel world that was kind of less known. And people, even, even great comic fans and Marvel fans were, when the, you know, it was announced, heads. they were yeah. like, who, Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. yeah are they going to be any good? Um, and so the first film was a huge success. It was funny. And um, it was exciting. It was slightly a little bit too violent for me, but that's me because you know me when it comes to kind of violence. Yeah. I just, I just think it could have been a great family movie, but for me it was just slightly kind of too violent. Written and directed by uh, James Gunn, as per usual, who is a very, very fine uh, writer and director, and is very good with comedy, as you heard there um, in the trailer. Uh, the second film, I don't really remember a great deal about. It's funny you should say that because um, I found it a bit dull. You know, there was a lot of um, uh, they tended to concentrate on. Chris Pratt's um, character and his father played by Kurt Russell and I just remember it being kind of really rather dull a lot of comedy again you know but this film I think is um, is as good as the first film it really really is very very exciting it is much much darker though than uh, the previous two there is humour as you heard in the trailer uh, but there are some scenes that I think some people might kind of find difficulty with I mean the thing is when I read it's a 12A film and okay. um, I mean I was on some of the forums and I remember one of the somebody saying you know uh, I think in, in England or, or or in America it's 13s and they were saying this is the toughest 13s I've ever seen and so I would say to people like beware of some of the scenes in this film okay, it is quite when, violent When you say 12As is that under 12s must be accompanied? Under 12s must be accompanied but basically what they're saying is under 12s should not see this film Oh okay I'm, you know what I'm mean? thinking so let's of, make an that age, of an 8 year old uh, Yeah <laughs> well, no. okay Yeah okay Yeah and one of the reasons why is that I mean this is a really Rocket Rocket Raccoon's film um, it's, it, it concentrates a lot on him and there's a lot of flashbacks in the, uh, if you've seen any of the films, you'll know that Rocket uh, has has been kind of manipulated, uh, both kind of uh, physically and mentally, uh, by a character by the name of the High Evolutionary. And um, so the film does deal a lot with, uh, in flashback, his uh, early life as an ordinary That's Bradley recruit. Cooper, isn't it? Bradley Cooper, who yeah. does the voice, yeah. And so the film deals with kind of a lot of animal um, experimentation, yeah. uh, vivisection, and it's not an easy watch sometimes, do you know what I mean? And so I think for under-12s, I think that could could be a bit of a problem so beware of that I mean it does tug, tug the heartstrings and it is quite scary as well do you remember the what was it Toy Story 3 do you remember the the, the, the dolls 
um, you know, um, the scary dolls. I mean, it's it's a oh, bit yeah. it's a bit yeah, similar to this, yeah. but this is kind of more of a kind of a, um, a kind of a human drama. So be be be, be aware uh, of that. So basically, what happens is Rocket Rocket Raccoon here. Uh, he gets injured, and so therefore they have these kind of med packs, which normally uh, are very very good at um, responding to kind of injuries, but they can't because they find within Rocket this kill switch. So if they go anywhere near him, uh, the, the 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 switch will go off and will kill uh, Rocket Raccoon. Uh, so basically, what they've got to try and do is they've got to try and find the high uh, evolutionary and find the override code for this switch. So the story is basically very very simple, and that's kind of basically it. They go and uh, to try and find the high evolutionary to get this code and within that of course is all the action and battles and fighting and uh, you know the kind of thing that you'd expect from these films which are very very exciting great to look at it's very very colourful but slightly over, over violent uh, overly violent at times whilst at the same time looking back in flashback at Rocket's early years and the difficulty that he had and uh, as I say that is it's not easy to watch sometimes and it is really really quite dark at times but having said that it's really really very very good indeed now there's a lot of jokes there's been a running joke throughout all of the films uh, the films about uh, 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 Rocket Raccoon where they kind of refer to him as a squirrel and a badger and he's constantly saying I'm not I'm a, I'm a raccoon and so that's really quite funny and there is still a lot of that uh, in this film Vin Diesel of course has the easiest job in the world because all he says is I am Groot. Uh, you've got now, there was a lot of controversy about this film, by the way, because James Gunn, the director, he was taken off the film because oh. of what they call those historical tweets, which uh, oh, ended up yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In, in, in the public yeah. gaze and eye. And so he was removed from the film. Um, Dave Bautista, who plays the character of Drax, who's now a very kind of powerful play in Hollywood, basically said, I want you to bring James back. Um, he has apologized for those tweets. And uh, if you don't, I will walk away. And so therefore they did bring James Gunn back and uh, and he's ended up making what I think is a terrific film but for under 12s I don't think it's appropriate and a lot of the original cast are back uh, they're all it, there. Yeah, I mean, it, is, it yeah. is a terrific cast. Yeah. I mean, Chris Pratt is, is really entertaining. Karen Gillan, Vin Diesel is there. Dave Bautista, Bradley Cooper, as you say, with the voice uh, of uh, of Rocket. And it's very, very exciting. I mean, some of the action sequences are, are are slightly too long, I think, for me on occasions. I would have liked a little bit more humour in it, uh, but it is a much, much darker film. And I think it's a better film for all of that. OK, so Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, Mark it out of 10. I'll give it 8. 8 out of 10. OK, now your second movie, and I, I know nothing about this movie, movie but when I saw Crater I was saying okay now is that Crater as in a crater I was like are you poor Crater <laughs> but it's Crater as in a large crater is it? It is yes. Is it, it okay? Alright. Uh, this is Disney and uh, it's one of those films that just to turn up on Disney Plus uh, they don't go to cinemas so that's kind of a, uh, that's a worry always uh, straight away. Um, like the, the films now that I think that go straight to Disney Plus would have been the films uh, from Disney in the past which would have gone on video uh, would have gone on DVD and uh, you know they've always made huge amounts of money by doing that and I think um, this is what they decided to do with this one and I must say you know it, for, for what it is it's, it's, it's obviously small budget uh, but it's really really quite entertaining because we meet this little boy after the death of his father um, again there are lots of flashbacks here uh, I should point out by the way when, it, when we talk about Crater uh, they are on the moon and um, oh, okay. yes it's a big it's a mining compa- uh, company uh, colony that's on the moon and it features people who have never been to Earth they can see Earth of course if they look up in the sky 
But as the kids say, you know, we've never been to Earth. We've just spent all our lives on the moon. And so they have and they're told nothing about uh, uh, about Earth. So they actually know little or, or anything about it. And then one day this young woman arrives, this young girl, and she is an Earthling. So uh, she they're fascinated by her, of course. And uh, they want to learn more about uh, Earth and and what it's like. And um, so we hear that whilst they're on the mining colony, there's going to be a, a meteor shower. And so therefore they're locking up the um, the colony. This young boy, his father has passed away, he used to work for the mining company. But in flashbacks, his father always said, there's something I want you to do for me. There's a crater about 20 miles away. And I want you to go there at some stage at any time. Now, he doesn't uh, explain why, and I won't explain why either. Okay, but the boy, of course, becomes obsessed with this um, this crater and wondering what is there. And so he gathers um, uh, his friends and they decide to use the meteor shower, the oncoming meteor shower, as a chance to explore. And so they, they steal a vehicle and make their way to the crater. And the film is about them and their relationship, uh, which, you know, at times can be difficult because these are young teenagers. And um, and also this quest uh, that they have as they sometimes and occasionally they, 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 they run out of oxygen, they make silly mistakes, they do the wrong things, they fight you know and um, and it's fascinating the whole time I'm watching it though I'm waiting for this big meteor shower so I'm waiting for a big big kind of special effects uh, you know Disney film where and and it never arrives oh. but that's not a bad thing in the end I respected the film because here I am every Friday I'm wanting more human dramas yeah and I've got one is it a feel good factor movie it is very much is so it, yeah. yeah but I think to be honest young kids they won't be particularly interested in this because and teenagers I'm not even sure if teenagers would be uh, but the critics liked it I liked it very much indeed I thought all the kids were very very good indeed and um, and you know on occasions it is exciting but it's interesting the whole way through holds your attention and whilst I was waiting for the big exciting kind it, of special effects moments and never came at the end I respected the film I thought well, right. well done well done for doing that you know what I mean well you know for having the, 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 the courage not to go big special effects but to make a human drama yeah. about these young people yeah, on the it, moon it didn't need it so it's called no. Crater yeah and is that, a, that, that in the cinemas did you say it's on Disney Plus it's on, oh it's on Disney Plus yeah. okay mark it out of 10 I'll give it 7 7 7 out of 10. Okay, listen, thank you for that. Have a lovely week and uh, we'll chat with Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, again next Friday. And actually, a couple of weeks ago, we had Davy Fitzgerald on the programme. We were talking about Ireland's fittest family and, of course, he's coming to Kildallery on the 1st of July and we were talking about future Ireland's fittest family and would it be going ahead and he confirmed to us that it is going ahead because there was speculation that it was going to be axed. But I read in the papers today that Sonia O'Sullivan has joined Ireland's fittest family as a coach and she would be uh, replacing... Corconi and Anna Geary because of course Anna recently announced she's expecting her first uh, child over the summer so Sonia O'Sullivan is taking over I think she is going to be fantastic and of course Donico Callahan is still there as well along with Nina Carberry and uh, Davy Fitz so the good luck to uh, Sonia and the new presenter is going to be Laura Fox we look forward to seeing that okay that's where I leave you for today and for this week talk to you on Monday thanks to John Paul Nick up next Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.